This special bonus episode is brought to you by USD. If you're not familiar with USD, they're making a name in the camping world by creating gear that helps everyone get outside and enjoy the outdoors, which is super important to us here on this podcast and in the work we do at Diversify Van Life. USD puts their intentions towards the things that matter most. Things like inclusion and diversity, sustainability, accessibility, quality gear, and beautifully creative storytelling. We believe in that too. So when they wanted to support a catch-up series with guests from the archives, it felt like a win-win. Plus, their camping gear is colorful, fun, and inviting. So what's not to like? Head over to usdgear.com and check them out and follow along on Instagram at usdgear. Diversify Van Life presents Nomads at the Intersections podcast. Hi everyone, Naomi here with another special bonus episode of Nomads at the Intersections podcast. This is the third of four bonus episodes where we're catching up with guests from the archives before the show's evolution to Nomads at the Intersections. On this episode, we caught up with Maggie Lamb for an Instagram live chat. Listen in as Maggie and I talk about the recent rise in racial attacks on the AAPI community, the dangers of the model minority myth, and how Maggie has prioritized her mental health through the traumas of the past year. There you are. <laughs> Hi. Hey. How are you? Sorry. Yeah, we, the timing's interesting because I'm at the airport right now. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that's okay. I'm so glad you're able to join us. Um, I hope you, you know, it doesn't uh, affect your flight or anything. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, we're still waiting, so I'm definitely free to chat to you, but hopefully it's not, like, too loud around here. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for making it happen and for being here. I'm really excited to chat with you and to see your face, so welcome to to a live edition. I just want to, like, maybe open up uh, a little bit for you to maybe... uh, introduce yourself you've you've been a guest on you know the previous iteration of this podcast uh so i'm excited to catch up and see what you've been up to and to all our listeners like i said if you have any questions for maggie just please feel free to drop it in the chat uh, maggie you and i haven't actually met in person yet hopefully soon but i feel like i've known you for a while and um i guess that's the magic of social media right But for all our listeners uh, who may not be familiar with you, uh, do you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself and share just a little bit about you? Yeah, so um, my name is Maggie. I think, you know, I guess most people probably know us from the the Bite Size Travels Instagram that we started back in 2017. So my boyfriend, uh, Dom and I, built out a sprinter van so 2008 sprinter van and we we had never had any experience so we built that out with a bed and we had spots for our kayaks and we had solar power and a kitchen and you know the whole like van life experience 
and for us at that time, that was a big, uh, a big thing because we spent five months of our life, you know, we were working full time, we were spending the weekends building it out. And then, yeah, we took a, we took kind of a risk telling our jobs that we wanted to go travel in a van, which, you know, at the time was pretty unheard of. So we took five months, we went around the entire country. And then since then, we'll have the van, we just named it Bernie and we take it around and we do shorter trips at this point, month long, couple weeks long, but uh, it was great to kind of knock out the whole of the U.S. at that time, 2018. I hear you. I love your van name, by the way. <laughs> My partner and I were like giggling about that the other day. I love it. It's so cute. Um, so, I mean, it's been, like I said earlier, it's been a little over a year since you've been on the podcast feed. And as we know, a lot has happened since then. What have you been up to since the last time you were on the podcast? So, yeah, the last time I talked to Laura, we were living in Tahoe. So we, um, we had been up in Tahoe for the last two years. And for us, that was like our cheap base in California. You know, we got like a really cheap place and you know, we're more of summer travelers anyway. So we spent a lot of the winter snowboarding and then you know doing some international travel and then we would take the van out when the, the summer months and spring months came around since then we've spent a month uh in indonesia traveling around i did some diving there and we did a month-long excursion to colorado did all those uh national parks now we're in hawaii as you can see i'm at the airport <laughs> it's warm there yeah. <laughs> send yeah. me someone <laughs> My boyfriend's English, so we spent a lot of time going to Europe, so Italy and Portugal and the UK, and so, yeah, we've just been all over the place. <laughs> I love it. I want to jump into a more serious topic. Since the start of COVID, there's been a massive uh, spike in discrimination and violence against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And this is not a new phenomenon. So-called America, as we know, has a long history of uh, anti-Asian rhetoric and discrimination and violence directed at Asian people. But the spike in hate crimes in the past year, and especially in these past few months, has been extremely frightening. And the population of Asians in this country is not that big. So the impact, I imagine, is felt tremendously within the community. Can you walk, walk us through like where you were and what you were feeling as reports of these attacks began to surface? Yeah, so I've been keep, keeping pretty close with all of the news. It almost feels like you know, every single day there's another tragedy, even if that person hasn't lost their life, they've been seriously injured or traumatized. So for me, I've been, I've been trying to take space for myself just to make sure that I prioritize my own mental health. But at the same time, it feels like the t attacks are personal in a way. And I think you can probably relate to this, you know, especially if it's elderly people like well that could be my grandmother and my grandfather it could be my aunt or my own parents so I think that personal aspect has been really hard for the Asian community which is one that 
has a lot of respect for the elderly. So, you know, that's been extremely difficult. And we've, I've been trying to spend a lot of time talking to friends and family and making sure that people know that, you know, Asian Americans aren't a silent minority. They have a voice that for a long time they've been using, but hasn't necessarily been in the mainstream, hasn't been amplified by major news medias or anything. So, you know, at the same time, I've been trying to follow a lot of Asian activists that are doing a lot of great work, holding a lot of rallies and support, donating money to organizations that can use it right now. And I definitely would encourage other people to do the same. The best way to support the community right now is to know your Asian American history, know that the circumstances in which they came to this country are very different from other groups, you know, black Americans and Hispanic Americans. And so I think the important thing to remember right now is we're not in a sort of oppression Olympics that, you know, people always bring up. It's not about one group over mm-hmm. the other. We're, we can focus on multiple issues at once without downgrading other issues. So I think that that's an important point to remember. And, you know, just making sure you stick up for someone if you see something happening. Like even the microaggressions that I talked about with Laura years mm-hmm. ago, people at that time were making comments like, oh, it's not a big deal. Or like, you know, some of the comments you get are compliments or, uh, you know, maybe people shouldn't be so sensitive and divisive, but it kind of goes to show that those words have a deeper meaning, right? It shows that Asian Americans are viewed as perpetual foreigners. And so no matter what, like you can't look what, you can't look American, right? White American. So you'll always kind of stick out. And so people making these comments that kind of draw you out of a space and kind of make you kind of stand out as an other are, just the first steps into these racial assaults and you know people screaming go back to where you came from and thinking that you're the source of all of their problems so yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) no i'm I'm hearing you yeah i mean i haven't watched any of the videos that were were released uh but to be honest like i don't have to to know how disgusting this is to be targeting our elderly community i mean it's 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 disgusting and like you said like the news media outlets um for the large part have not been covering these stories but i mean it takes something like what happened in atlanta last week to get the media's attention and even then there's this hesitation to call it what it is hate crimes But I mean, in spite of mainstream media, social media has played a really big role, I feel, in bringing these atrocities to light, as well as uh, adding voices to the movement. So with more and more people speaking up and sharing their experiences and bringing visibility, do you feel like the AAPI community is more connected and more supported than in years past? Yeah, I think the dissemination of information gotten so much easier over the years and having platforms like social media platforms it it just gives a sort of comfort where you feel that people resonate with what you're saying and you feel that you can be honest in a certain space you know like especially for myself like I I work within the tech industry and so 
my goal like is not to be an influencer so I'm just putting out what I want to say I don't necessarily care what people think about it so for me it's been good for you (laughs) it's been kind of comforting because I don't really care about like I have followers or not so yeah I mean it's great that people have been wanting to connect with me and like you know it's been great to meet you guys as well and have this sense of solidarity but that feeling of just saying what you want and putting it out and seeing if people respond to it it's been a great feeling awesome I love that Um, in the last episode and you kind of touched on it previously you spoke about the model um, which is designed to create this one-size-fits-all Asian-American idea. Um, and, I mean, it's a dangerous stereotype. Uh, it's a skewed perspective that erases the whole scope of what it means to be Asian-American and Asian-American history and life today. Um, I feel like it's really hard not to see how that all ties into the violence that's happening right now. Can you share more about the model minority myth and how it's further it's perpetuating this anti-Asian sentiment and violence against Asians? Yeah, so the model minority myth essentially came up um, because white Americans wanted a way to deflect, essentially. So they didn't want to focus on Asian-American issues, so poverty rates, um, you know, refugee statuses, and any sort of, like, health disparities within the community. Mm -hmm. And so when I talked before about the conditions in which people came to America and those being very different, due to all the exclusion acts in history, a lot of the Asian-Americans that came to the U.S. had more education, so they were doctors or they were engineers, And so this caused a shift in what people thought Asian Americans can achieve. But it's a way for them to just pit blame onto Black Americans or Brown Americans and say, why can't you succeed like they have? Why are, you know, like, why can't you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be successful? But they're, they're just discounting all of the reasons as to why certain groups are in America and the conditions in which they got here. And, you know, by having us focus on each other, they take blame off themselves. So I think that is a lot of the issue around it. I hear you, but no, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it, it's rooted in white supremacy. And I feel like that's so important for us in the, in the BIPOC community to recognize. Um, we have a common denominator and that is white supremacy that is trying to pit us against each other. So it's critically important for us to, to recognize that and you know for our communities to stand with each other. I mean, an attack on you is an attack on me, my friend. So I'm here for this, you know what I mean? So, um, but with that being said, Maggie, I mean, I feel like there's trauma just coming at us from all angles this year. I'm really curious to know how you've been taking care of yourself, how you've been taking care of your mental health. So, I mean, travel honestly has been a big part for me like just getting away you know as i am right now and making sure that i reconnect with nature sign off on social media that for me has been a big part of what's been missing in the last year and a half or so you know Mm -hmm. we weren't doing a lot of trips except maybe locally with the van and I, I could definitely feel the, the effect that that had on me. It felt as if my motivation, like my question is, you know, what am I working for? 
and there wasn't really a sort of chance to recharge. And now that has been, you know, having travel come back to a certain capacity with limitations has been a big part for me. Um, and then just making sure that we're doing a lot of reading and meditation. I started therapy within the last year, which I'm sure a lot of people have as well. And it's not necessarily something that needs to be hush hush. And so I, yeah, we just have a lot of things that we're working through internally and on a personal matter. Yeah, I hear you with that. Uh, for me, it's definitely getting a lot of rest, getting therapy. I mean, uh, get, staying off social media. That's been huge. These past, uh, I think for the second half of March, I haven't really been on social media much. And I can't tell you how amazing that feels to, you know, it's like refilling my cup. So, um, yeah, that's so important for, for all of us to prioritize right now. So thank you for sharing those tips with us and how you're, you're, you're taking care of your mental health. I'm sorry. It's kind of, can you hear me still? <laughs> yeah. Where are you? Are you on the tarmac? Sorry. I, I think I have to go. Oh, I can't, man. I can't really hear you. I'm sorry. Okay. Hey everybody. We are back for a part two today uh, of this very special Instagram live edition with Maggie. There you are. Hey. <laughs> hey Maggie, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Welcome Much more back. stable. <laughs> Much more stable connection than the first time. Yeah, that was really interesting yesterday. But for everyone joining me, uh, hello and welcome back to a part two of this very special Instagram live with Maggie. Welcome back. Uh, we didn't get to finish yesterday, so I'm really thankful for you um, being able to make it possible to, to get back on today so we can continue this very important conversation. I trust that you made it home safely. <laughs> yes, yes. That was a live clip of nomad life, I guess, right? as you said. <laughs> Very much on the on the road. <laughs> that is like the epitome of nomadic being nomadic experience. So we we got to to have a front row seat to that. But you know, I really appreciate you taking the time today to to jump back into our chat. So let's get started. We were about to journal prompt, I believe. But before we do that, I kind of wanted to circle back on the conversation or the topic of the model minority myth. Would would you be open to speaking a little bit more about that? and how like the model minority myth is further perpetuating anti-Asian sentiments and violence against Asians? Yeah, yeah. So I definitely wanted to touch on that again, because I think it's an important topic that not a lot of people are aware about. So, you know, to kind of restart on that topic, uh, the model minority myth is essentially a narrative that is used uh, for two things. So one is to um, essentially say that Asian Americans are always successful and that they have nothing to complain about. And at the same time, it's used as a way to justify why other non-Asian minority groups um, are at their own fault for all of their failings, essentially. So it tries to move blame away from institutionalized racism and inequality and say that anyone that wants to be successful can be, but it's flawed in a lot of ways because it groups all of 
the different ethnicities of Asians into one. So, you know, the, the lack of um, economic security for certain groups are completely discounted and they're kept out of assistance programs. And at the same time, it breeds a lot of anti-Blackness because it just perpetuates all these stereotypes about Black Americans. Um, and at, at the end of the day, the reason that certain Asian Americans don't like that myth is because it it gives us gives white Americans a reason to say, okay, you've been accepted into these certain parts of society. Why are you complaining? Um, you should view it as a privilege. So I think it's important to challenge that perception. And in a way, we just have to remember that it's not good to sca scapegoat either group. And we're all in this kind of together. And it's just a way to prevent us from reaching that level of solidarity. Preach, my friend. Ooh, I hear that. People need to hear this because it is such a dangerous, skewed perspective. And I feel like it's, it's fucking erasure. It erases <laughs> yes. the scope of, of the, the, yeah, like uh, Asha is saying, it's like the caste system. It, it erases the whole scope of, of the Asian experience. I mean, being Asian is not, is not a monolith, right? Just like BIPOC is not a monolith. So, yeah, it's so dangerous. And I feel like, you know, it tries to pit, um, you know, communities of color against each other. And we have to recognize that. Like I said yesterday, an attack on one is an attack on all. So if they attack you, my friend, they attack me. So um, that's how we need to, to start uh, looking at this as communities of color. We need to stand in solidarity with each other. So I appreciate you um, enlightening us with that perspective. And I hope that uh, people hear this, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean, like I said again yesterday, we have a common denominator here, white supremacy. Let's not forget it, friends, you know? Um, yeah, let's jump into our journal prompts. How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just building upon what we just, you know, talked about. How can we, and everyone listening, please journal with us in the comments. Um, how can we as Black, Asian, Indigenous, Latinx, and other people of color ensure that we are not carrying internalized white supremacy into spaces where there are no white people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think it's important, you know, I think this is obvious to you and me, but I'm just going to state it. I think it's important to make the distinction that we're not talking about anti-whiteness. We're talking about anti-white supremacy as a notion and as a system. So, you know, I think people kind of conflate those things at times, but within those spaces, we as non-white minorities should always be questioning our own biases, whether they're conscious or unconscious. If we have certain perceptions about what a certain group should look, sound, or act like, that's always something we should check in with ourselves about. Um, and then we should always be questioning whether certain groups belong or whether they're the default in certain spaces. So, you know, if we take the van life community, you know, people say, oh, like, like a black American or an Asian American, that's like uncommon, but you know, they're out there. It's just that they're not in the limelight. So I think we should consider what, what we count as belonging to a certain group. We should always be aware of cultural appropriation 
and just accept that there's always going to be a level of unlearning. I think that's okay to admit in these spaces. Like a lot of people think that, you know, they're afraid to misspeak or um, ask questions, but, you know, we should be telling the other groups how best to support us. We should be sharing, you know, how we're feeling. And I think that's the only way to move forward. Like when we say that, you know, we're already perfect and we have no reason to question our current beliefs, it really stunts our growth, I think, as communities and as individuals. So I think we should, you know, question our actions, whether or not they'll benefit our own groups and groups um, like our, our fellow minority groups or whether they benefit the system of white supremacy. So, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful. Wow, Maggie, thank you so much for saying that. I mean, I honestly have nothing to add to that. that is, <laughs> we, we got to think. I mean, it, I feel like it, it just requires deep decolonial work. We got to unpack that internalized racism within ourselves in a way that allows us to be to promote health and wellness, you know, within ourselves and within our community. So everything you just said, times 100, like, that's it right there. I appreciate that so much. And Denise added in the comments, we need to highlight and amplify the variety of experiences. And that is so true. Like I said earlier, being a POCs or, or communities of color is not a monolith. We need to be able to, to show up as our true and authentic selves and, and allow space for that. So I appreciate that, Denise. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 100% agree with that comment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's get a little bit more niche. So I want to talk a little bit about van life. Uh, we're both van lifers. You've been on the road since, what, 2018? So a few years now. So, and I know like these acts of violence are creating more barriers to entry, I feel, or uh, understandably so for people, because I mean, people are afraid. Um, the Asian community is afraid. And I know some people would probably opt out of pursuing this lifestyle because of that fear. How has all of this impacted your lifestyle for 2021? And what does road travel look like for you this year? Yeah, so I think I would probably be lying if I said that I wasn't a little bit nervous about getting out there again. A, a friend of mine, she asked me at that time on her podcast, you know, are you afraid to enter certain spaces? And I had said no at that time, because I really felt that there was the sense of safety for certain members, even though I was a woman, I think I had that level of safety because I was with my partner. But when with the recent events, I feel that I may be more conscious of where I plan to go. I feel like I always have to, you know, make sure I'm not like coughing or like, you know, just it, it feels like you have to prove you belong a little bit more. And I think that's just always the the feeling that Asian Americans and many non-white groups have in America. You always have to be doing that extra step to prove that you belong somewhere. So I think um, that's, that's something I'll be carrying with me this year. But in terms of road travel, we do plan to spend some time in New Zealand. So we're going to be van tripping New Zealand, hopefully in the winter, if, you know, travel is okay by then. Um, we had originally planned in 2020 to van travel Europe. Uh, we were going to build out a second yeah. van there. So that is still in the works, but, you know, may not come to fruition this year due to, you know, the vaccine rollout and other challenges. Um, 
And then we just have all these places in California that we still love and we'll probably go back to Alabama Hills, mm. um, you know, the, the Mammoth area, which is a favorite of ours. So, yeah, we, we've got plans for that, but definitely keeping in mind that we want to be safe about it and we want to be following community guidelines. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. What do you think uh, non-Asian road travelers can do to, to, to stand with and help support the AAPI community? Yes, that's a great question. There's a ton, ton of things that they could be doing. So first is to definitely, definitely donate to you know, the level of comfort that you have in donating or the financial security that you have at the moment. Um, there are a ton of GoFundMes for the various victims of these uh, anti-Asian assaults. There's also a few groups. Uh, one, AAPI Women Lead, Stop AAPI uh, Hate, Asian Americans Advancing Justice, and the Asian Pacific Fund. So all of those are worth checking out and um, putting money into those organizations will help them best support their various groups. Thank you for that. That was my next question. So I really appreciate that. And I'm going to add those show notes um, when we put this on the feed. Is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah, I, I think like, this is kind of a good time for people to recognize that there's a lot of work still to, to be done. And, you know, they can definitely do their part by reading up on Asian American history. And, you know, having conversations with their friends and their family. I think this is something that we can carry even past COVID. Like mm -hmm. when we have stereotypes of Asian Americans, what are those, you know, like why do we have them? Do they actually hurt the people that we hold those stereotypes for? Um, there's a lot of history that I think has been overwritten that should be brought into the limelight as well. So there's some great books. One we actually read on the Diversify Van Life Book Club, which is great, Serve the People. Yes. Um, there's also The Color of Success, Minor Feelings, Making of Asian American History. Um, so all of those are great books to check out. Um, someone put in the comments just now, Hold Systems Accountable. So yes. I think that's a very important point. We should question why certain restrictions are in place and we should at the same time, look for solidarity in other groups. Like that, that scapegoating that we were talking about, mm -hmm. it's easy to bring up in everyday life to say like, oh, the people committing these acts of violence are black or they're white or they're Hispanic. That's not the point. Like the point is what has driven people to think that Asian Americans are the source of disease or they're easy targets, like all of these perceptions mm -hmm. themselves are dangerous. So having these kinds of conversations with your friends and your family can help challenge those perceptions. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and call it out. Call it out when you see it, when you hear it. You know, shine a light. Yeah. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, stand up for people. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're here for that, you know, diversify van life. <laughs> Thank you so much, Maggie. But one last question before we go. This is actually a journal prompt that I really would love to, um, to hear you speak to. Um, who are you now versus January of 2020? That's a good question. <laughs> who am I now? I think in a lot of ways, 
the past year has been a lot of self-discovery for me. I think it, it's been hard to complain really about circumstances because, you know, I have a job and I have, you know, stable um, economic security and I have a home, but at the same time, it feels like I've lost a little bit of my identity in the past year in that, you know, we haven't been able to travel and it feels like that was, you know, my escape a little bit. And that was like a part of who I was. Um, but at the same time, I think stepping into this uh, role of advocating for Asian Americans and like advocating for, you know, members of my community has been really rewarding, despite the circumstances of everything. So I think I, I think in a lot of ways, the the self-confidence it, it's a roller coaster so it's gone down in like the travel realm but it's gone up in other realms so i think it, it's been good i think that the therapy part has been helping me discover that a lot and mm -hmm. yeah it, it's not necessarily better or worse it's just different from where i was last mm -hmm. Jan. Uh, i resonate with that so much i feel very similar feelings with you know, where I'm at with community, like this year, part of everything was I feel so much more connected to community in such a profound way. And it has impacted me so much, like my self-confidence, utilizing my voice, my activism. Um, yeah, it's, it's really an interesting place to be, so. Um, yeah, you've, you've been an inspiration to myself and I'm sure so many others, so yeah. Thank, Thank you for, for leading that. It's so mutual. Well, Maggie, I, honestly, I can't even say enough how much um, I appreciate and value your voice. So thank you uh, for jumping back on with me again today. Um, this has been just so beautiful. And I want you to know that the Diversify Van Life community stands with you. We stand with the AAPI community today and every day and know that we're always here for you. So thank you again and blessings. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yes. Have a beautiful weekend. Thank you for joining us for another special episode of Nomads at the Intersections. We'll be back in your feed on April 23rd for our season finale. Until then, you can join us on Instagram at Nomads at the Intersections pod. Special thanks to UST for sponsoring this bonus episode.